Are you excited about this summer? Summer in the Psalms? What a, a blessing. Uh, if I could reminisce a little personally, it was June 1st uh, in 1995 that Melody and I came to a little church called Eagle Nazarene. And uh, so we started our 24th year just uh, a couple days ago at Eagle. And we couldn't be more thankful for a group of people. And so just want to say thank you for being so gracious to us always and for sending us on sabbatical. And we hope it ends up blessing you as much as it has blessed us every time we've gone before. So thank you. Uh, the Psalms, what a, what a wonderful blessing they are. Uh, today we get to look at the cure for the troubled heart, seven ways that we can overcome a troubled heart in our life. Ever, any, anybody ever had a troubled heart, a uh, loss of contentment? Uh, we're going to learn today that, that uh, commitments that we make can change commit, co contentment in our life. I had to make it easy to say, didn't I? Commitment leads to contentment. But it's not the kind of commitment that we might be thinking about of, I, I've just got to try harder, I've got to buck up, I've got to do more. It, it's a different understanding of the passage that teaches us that our commitment determines our contentment. And so I'd like to walk you through those seven steps today. And if you came in here today with a troubled heart, um, the, I can guarantee you there probably won't be a quick fix. Because when David writes about this psalm, he's looking back on time. And it's over a lifetime. In fact, he says in Psalms 37, verse 25, I was young and now I am old. Isn't that fun? He, that's how he talks about it. And, and he says, over a lifetime, I've gained some perspective and I want to talk about what that looks like and how my commitments in life have created contentment in my journey. And so it's not that it's going to be fixed right now, but it's, it's going to be over time, you're going to see that it pays to have certain kind of commitments in our lives. David has a unique struggle. Um, he's been anointed king, but he doesn't yet hold the kingdom. As he looks back on his journey, in fact, he's being uh, chased by enemies. He's hiding in caves. He's um, wondering if he's going to have another meal. Um, as his enemy is sitting by the campfire telling stories about the good old days, he's wondering if he'll have another meal. And so it's in that context that we begin to look at the passage. There, there is a danger in life. The danger is that we'll look at other people and their situations and how they seem to flourish. They have money, they have wealth, they have health, they have, well, life is simply good for them. And they don't follow the Lord, and they take advantage of people in business, and, and they seem to flourish anyway. And it's this kind of situation that David is looking at. And he says, I want you to learn how to have a contentment with God, because it, frankly, it pays to follow God with all of our lives. If we don't believe that God is faithful, if we don't believe that it pays to serve Him, we'll begin to lose hope and we'll begin to not trust in God and we'll not think that he's a good God and, and we'll simply walk away from our faith or our commitments or certainly won't live as vibrantly as we might. So there we go, Psalms 37, 1 through 11. Let's stand and look at the passage this morning, could we? Psalms 37, 1 through 11. Now, fret not yourself 
because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that a good word this morning? Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord. Notice in your Bible that's probably capitalized. That's that's, uh, the sovereign God, the everlasting God, the all-powerful God. David is reminding us in this passage of who it is that is speaking to us, and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. There it comes again. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. For those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in the abundant place. We may be seated. Uh, There's going to be seven steps, seven uh, commitments that we can make in our life, decisions really that we can make that will impact the contentment of our lives. The, The first one, as we look at it, is refuse to fret. Fretting is that place where um, our focus begins to move from God to other people. It's that moment where we choose to look at what's going on around us, and we begin to compare with other people, and we take our eyes off of God. You might think of fret as just worry, but it's actually a Hebrew word that means to not heat yourself up about not begin to focus upon in such a way that you become angry. Don't get to the point of looking at other people and beginning to compare their house with their wife, their job, their health, their world, and all of a sudden you're, you're steamed up inside. You're angry. You're frustrated. How could they get this and they have that when I do this and I do that and I serve God faithfully? And it's, uh, we wouldn't live in a comparison society, would we? We'd never look at, at somebody else's house or somebody else's uh, health or somebody else's beauty or somebody else's fill in the blank. Well, the the writer of Psalms is talking about that, and he says, uh, the first thing we're going to do, the first step in commitment that we're going to make if we're going to have contentment in our lives is to decide that we're going to be a people who fret not. We choose not to let that anger come up inside of us. We choose not to believe that it, it doesn't pay to follow God. Fret not. It's that focusing on God instead of focusing on circumstances. Uh, it, it goes further. He, he says, um, don't focus on evil people and what happens with them and how they seem to get ahead. Why? Because it tends toward evil. It tends to draw us in because if we think that they win in the end, then why not go their way? And so let's not do that. Uh, the root of every kind of fretting And comparison is found in the word envy. So when we begin to envy other people, their situation, we know that we've stepped across a a border that takes us away from contentment. Uh, The the next thing that the the psalmist tells us as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit is trust in the Lord. And the word Lord is supreme existing one. 
It's the one who's always been there, trust in the Lord. He, in fact, uh, in Isaiah 40, 18, Isaiah the prophet was talking to the people and he dealt with them being in exile and having trouble. And he penned these words. He says, to whom will you compare him? When I was in the Philippines in 1981, there were some young adolescents that were, were given an old man a really hard time. And one of the, uh, there's a lot of respect for elderly in the Philippines. And one of the guys who was standing by them said, stop giving him a hard time. He's eaten more rice than you will ever see in your lifetime. It was an interesting saying, and that's why it stuck with me. And, and what the, the prophet said is, to whom will you compare him? When, when, when we begin to look at perspective and understand what's going on around our world, who could, could begin to compare with the Lord? You can trust him. He, he has perspective. He always has our best in mind. So trust in the Lord. Uh, in that, it certainly has several aspects. It, it means to be bold in confidence and to put your full weight upon. I'd like everybody to stand up for a moment. If you would, just stand right up. Go ahead. Everybody, stand up. I caught you some of you asleep. Some of you looking on your phone. Here we go. Now, sit down. Go ahead, sit down. There you go. Sit down. Come on. Have a chair. You just trusted in the chair. Everybody in the house, you just trusted. You put your full weight upon. You didn't even think twice about it. We do that all the time, don't we? Uh, we get on an airplane, and some pilot that's 15 years old begins to fly you down the... <laughs> they look younger all the time. And, and you buckle yourself in, and you don't go question them. You, they, you just trust them that, that you put your full weight in it. And, <clears throat> and David begins to talk to us, and he says, I want you to, to think about your relationship with God as a full trust, full weight relationship. That if we put part of our trust in God, we'll never, we'll never experience being carried by him. I've watched uh, some of you carrying little tiny kids in, in, in uh, chest packs and back, backpacks, and, and they trust you implicitly. You could go anywhere with them. And, and, and don't, you, don't they just trust you? And so the, the question is, it, would you allow God in some area, could we allow God to place us in his backpack? to carry us on his chest pack, some area that we reservably are saying, I'm not sure, Lord, uh, that trust has kind of three elements that I'd like to unpack with you a little bit. Uh, first is the dwelling. It's, um, <clears throat> it's God, I'm with you. He says, um, I, I want you to dwell with the Lord in this passage. Uh, dwelling means to establish, to make a permanent place. I just moved houses. Uh, I'm a real fan of moving right now. I'd rather go to the dentist. It's so painful. And one of the, somebody asked me, was it hard to make this last phase into your house? And I, I, I said, it, it was a joy. Because I was, I, when I put stuff in my office, it's staying there. I, I got rid of all kinds of stuff. But the essentials went into the house. I, I now call myself a former hoarder. You can hold me accountable to that in the future when I want to hound books. I said to myself, every shirt I buy, I'm going to give away three. <laughs> anyway, I, the, the word dwell means to establish a permanent residence with. To, to decide with God, I, I not only put my full trust with you, but I'm in God. 
I want to be a God follower. I want to be a, a citizen in the kingdom. I, I want Jesus Christ to be my king. God, I'm all in. I'm moving in permanently. Not a foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom, but I'm in all the way. It's um, dwell in the land and do good. Uh, it, it simply means to choose to do good no matter what everybody else around me is doing. It's that thing, it, it doesn't really matter if someone else was cheating on their taxes or cheating on their wife or, or taking advantage of some situation or speaking poorly of another. David, as he's looking, he says, if, if you make a commitment to trust in the Lord, it simply means I'm, I'm choosing to do good because I believe that in the long haul, it pays off with incredible dividends. And so uh, there's the dwelling and the doing good. And then he says, uh, befriend faithfulness. Uh, interesting, that word <coughs> befriends, it, it means to make a shepherd and companion out of faithfulness. Just to decide that I'm going to be that person that, that walks with God and he with me and I dwell with him and we do life together. And, and that regardless of what goes on in the world with, around me, I've befriended, I've made a friend, a shepherd, a companion, an ever-present buddy I don't want to, to, to lower the standard of God, but it's really a shepherding word. I've decided to befriend God in my life. It's a beautiful picture. And, and then he says, trust in the Lord, dwell, do good, and befriend. Um, David had an interesting habit when it came to following God. He, he praised him continually, and, and um, when, when he broke God's heart, he came back to God, but most of his life he was all in in spite of the mistakes, and, and he refused to do God's part for him. David was in, um, he'd been anointed king by Samuel, and he was running from King Saul, and he went into the caves of En Gedi. By the way, Israel trip, I can't wait for us to get there and to see those caves ourselves personally. It's beautiful and stunning, amazing. Sorry for the rest of you to come next trip. But anyway, um, Saul went into one of those caves to use it for a restroom facility, and David was there, and he had opportunity to kill Saul. And his men even urged him on. He said, it makes complete sense given what has been done to you. And, and David absolutely refused. He said, I will not lay my hand upon the anointed. What did he mean by that? He said, I will not do for God what only God should do. I will do my part, and I will let God do his part. And doing good then means I'll do my part. And, and the not fretting part comes, I don't have to take responsibility for other people's actions. That's not my part to take responsibility for. Uh, so the, the third thing, the third commitment, remember our, our, our understanding today is our commitment determines our contentment. Verse 4, he says, commit your way to the Lord. You, we all know what commitment's like, don't we? Uh, many of us stood at an altar, and certainly if we haven't stood at an altar, uh, we may have that in our future, or we've seen it. We stand before a pastor, and, and we say, um, I, I promise uh, to, to love this person forever, to have and to hold, to, to love and to cherish for better, for worse, for richer, for, for, for poorer, for in sickness and in health, keeping ourselves only to each other until death does part. Isn't that what we call Commitment. I love it when people try to say, hey, pastor, could, you, could we rewrite the vows? And, and they give me the vows, and it goes like this. We're going to love each other as long as we, we see uh, the light in each other's eyes. And, and we have this joy of being together. And, and, and we have this sense of depth of being kindred spirits. Are you serious? <laughs> I, 
You know what I say to those? Put whatever you want around it, but we're going to say these vows in the middle because that's called commitment. And I don't know what you call that other stuff. <laughs> commitment. Uh, you know, I, I think so often, and, and forgive me if I've told the story before, but there was, there was a lady named Mildred Chadlock. There was a dear lady in this church, and she's been gone many, many years. But Mildred, at age 27, was called to the mission field, and it was during the Great Depression. And even, even perhaps before, maybe the late 20s, I, I don't know. But Mildred was called to the mission field to Africa as a single woman. And she said, Lord, I, I don't want to go to Africa. And I'll, if I can't find somebody here, I'll never find them there. But God kept talking to Mildred. And Mildred kept listening to God. And finally, that was the days, honestly, when you packed your, your belongings in a casket. Really, literally. And you didn't talk to family for months at a time because they shipped everything over. None of this texting and stuff, no instant world. It was saying goodbye to everything you cared about and loved. And Mildred said yes to God. She went to Africa, and one of the chieftains was going to kill her, hated what she was doing, a witch doctor, and came to try to kill Mildred. Mildred would take food to the lepers and touch them and care for them and love them like nobody else did. And, and a snake came and bit the guy and killed him on the way. True. <laughs> Don't mess with Mildred Tadlock. She committed to Jesus. True story. Mildred, uh, when she was in Africa, or, or shortly after, I don't know the exact timeline, but she wrote in a journal, she was praying now in World War II for a soldier. God just laid on her heart a soldier, and she didn't know, but she just prayed intensely and wrote it in her journal. And, and she, just, she just kept praying and praying for this soldier, this American soldier, somewhere in, in, in the Orient. And, and later... Um, her future husband recounted and they compared the, their journal entries and he'd been marching down a road with a Japanese bayonet in his back and all of a sudden they saw tanks coming out of nowhere, nowhere, and the, the Japanese soldiers jumped into the bush and he was rescued. They were married. They were stationed in the Philippines and, and um, a little girl knocked on their door and uh, she was all disheveled messed up hair, uh, looked like she'd been in the street, a little tiny thing, and they took her in, no other option, it was getting dark. The next day they posted, uh, plastered the city with notices that they found this little girl. This little girl, when she uh, went to bed, they, they went to tuck her in and pray for her, probably for the very first time in her entire life. And they noticed a lump under the pillow and pulled it up, and there was food that she'd stashed there. No one answered the, the ads for the little girl, and so they adopted Sally. Sally Hahn was on my board, and uh, it was pastor appreciation. Mildred had passed away, and they came and gave me a tie tack. And they said, Pastor, we, we melted down the gold from her wedding ring, and uh, the diamond is from that. getting sentimental here. <laughs> but people come and say, I like your tie tack. And I want to say, I like Mildred. <laughs> and I always wear it. I have like 10, but this is the one I always pick because it reminds me that God is faithful. 
It reminds me that even when we want to say no, we choose to say yes. It reminds me that over the long haul, when it looks like the evil one is reigning supreme and everybody else is winning, that it pays to serve Jesus. And when I looked into Sally's eyes, I thought I bet Mildred would never want to go back and change her commitments. So the, the third truth, um, commit your ways to the Lord. Yeah, what a beautiful thing. Today you may have some area that you want to commit to Jesus and say, Lord, I, I don't like what's going on with my finances or my relationships. Um, <coughs> that word commit, it's a, it's a interesting word. It, 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 uh, it, it means to roll your way upon another. It means to take the weight off of our shoulder and put it on another. So imagine that you take some area that's weighing you down right now, a relationship with a rebellious child or a tough relationship in your life or a situation you just don't know what to do with and you've done your part but you really can't do anything more. It might be um, any number of things and you just make a commitment to take it off your shoulders and Jesus looks up at you and say, here, mine are big enough. And with open hands, face down, it could be health, it could be finances. It could be any number of things. And you just simply say, Jesus, you've got it. Any, anybody got something you'd like to roll off your shoulders today? That's a great invitation from the Spirit. Uh, the next thing, he, he says, delight yourself in the Lord. Now, remember, David isn't having a very good time. It's not like he's loving the fact that he's exiled or that he's in trouble or that people are seeking his life. But that word delight um, is an amazing thing. It, it's um, the same word that be, would be used for a bride on her honeymoon, delighting in just pouring herself in her, into her husband and finding delight. But interestingly enough, when the Hebrews talked about David champing over Goliath, they used the same word. So it's not just a feminine word. It's a word of submission and power for all of us, for all of humanity, to say delighting in the Lord would be to say, I'm going to choose to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ such that as I pour my life into Jesus and I love the Father and I live for him and with him, I delight in him, that, that I gain my sense of joy in life because of the relationship regardless of the circumstances. Does that make sense? It's a, it's a different way of thinking. I'm going to delight. I'm going to enjoy the relationship with God that I have. Uh, he goes further, the psalmist. <coughs> By the way, I wish we had uh, so much more time to unpack so many promises in the psalms about what happens when we commit our way to, to the Lord. There's just these beautiful promises. Commit your way to the Lord um, and trust in Him and He shall bring it to pass. God will take care of it. We don't have to. Uh, delight, number four. And then five, be still. Uh, <coughs> this is a interesting thing. I wrote something down this morning. I, I thought it was kind of fun. I don't know if it really is, but, it, well, I'll just give it to you anyway. Doing nothing is doing something really important that is worth doing well or not at all. Can I say that again? That doing nothing is doing something really important that is, uh, is worth doing well or not at all. Uh, here's why. I think we don't do that very well. 
By the way, thank you for your generosity to John and Janice Ord, and, and you've been raising thousands of dollars to bless them. And, and, but John told me that in his home country, they stop the train often, and, and at 9 o'clock, they close everything down, and, and you'll be walking by, and they'll just say, come have coffee. And we've lost our, our front porch and our back porch, and now we have garage door openers. And we don't stop, and we don't rest, and we don't talk, and we don't know how to be still. Mother Teresa, who was known for her incredible spiritual impact and depth, was uh, interviewed by Dan Rather. And Dan um, was prepping for it, and he was a little uncomfortable because that was different than any kind of interview he was used to doing um, because he was interviewing a person without pretense. And he said to her, tell me um, what you say when you pray. And she said, um, I don't say anything. I just listen. And um, he was taken back, and he said, well, what does God say? back to you. And she said, he doesn't say anything. He just listens. And if you don't understand that, I can't tell it to you. And there was a long pregnant pause after that because Dan rather had no clue what to say. <laughs> but isn't it true that when we sit with Jesus and just simply ask him in the morning with our music and our cup of coffee and say, Jesus, what would you like to do with my day? that he speaks to us? Isn't it true that when we say, Jesus, what would you like to do with that loved one that I'm... He listens to us? Isn't it true when we come to Jesus and somebody's got cancer and we say, Jesus, what... Really? Isn't it true that he listens to us? And does he not speak to us in the quiet of the moment. Be still. It's a, a posture of rest and listening that God invites us to. And the psalmist says, um, if you will make time for rest, you will find time for renewal. Thank you, church, for believing in rest and renewal and restoration. Be still. Uh, the next one, uh, refrain from anger and burning. It, it's a, a word that actually means venom, poison, rage, and burning bitterness. You will be tempted at some point to be filled with bitterness over the, the promotion that you should have had when you worked harder and you were smarter and you did more and they undercut the boss and he still lifted them up. You will be tempted at bitterness and anger when someone does evil and they take advantage in business and you're honest and they get the bid. You will be tempted at bitterness and anger when someone hurts you to the core and they walk away and it doesn't even seem to phase them. The good king says on reflecting back at a lifetime, he says, refrain from that. Do not choose that. Refrain from being angry. Make a decision not to be angry. There's, there's, there's fruitful anger and there's unfruitful anger. Fruitful anger always brings about more righteousness and justice. Anger has the same root. It, it it's, comes from pain and injustice and fear in all of us. That's where anger comes from. 
But discerning whether our anger is justified or powerful for righteousness is important. Jesus got angry when they wouldn't let the children come to him. He got angry when they used the temple inappropriately. He got angry when they wanted to stone the lady who was caught in adultery. He got angry when they suggested that he shouldn't use the cross as a means of salvation because his anger brought about righteousness and correction and empowerment. But there's another kind of anger that turns us away from people we love and causes great harm in our lives and, and leads to abuse and control and more injustice. And that kind of anger that, that becomes bitter vile in our hearts, the psalmist says, stay away from that. Run away from that as fast as you can. Refrain from anger. Number seven, wait on the Lord. Uh, wait patiently for him. Doesn't that make you happy? Wait patiently. Why do those two words go together? How could they? Uh, we, uh, we, we changed insurance. Our, our, our agent said, we think we can save a little money if you'll, if you'll buy insurance. And, and they um, offered a great discount if you put a driving tracking application on your phone. Does that sound like fun? So, but you could save up to 25%. What do you think? Good idea? Oh, people, seriously. I was the only one in the family for it. <laughs> so we put on this tracking device, and it's like, oh, my goodness, we have to constantly slow. I mean, not that I would ever, but we have to slow down everything, and it measures stopping speed, braking speed, lane changes, other speed. It's terrible. <laughs> Good news, that's not the kind of waiting that David is talking about. It's not waiting for the microwave or at the stop sign. It's a different thing. It's this, this deep anticipation of something good yet to come. Ron Mel wrote a, a book uh, that was really, his, the title of his book was Cure for a Troubled Heart. And I borrowed so much for this message from Ron. I'm indebted to him. But, but he said it, he, he, he had met a little girl and he, she had lost her dad and she was grieving deeply. And the season passed, and, and mom and daughter were missing dad so much. And um, Valentine's Day came, and she said, can I write a Valentine's to daddy? And, of course, the mom says, absolutely. And so the little girl pinned the Valentine, and she said, now, mommy, let's go to the balloon place. And so they, they got a balloon, and she said, that's not enough. We need more. And not enough. We need more, and we need more because I want it to go high. And then the little girl, mom couldn't help but look. And as the, the, the letter was placed on the balloons, it went, it became smaller and smaller and smaller until it was completely out of sight. And the mom had read on the note, it said, Dear Jesus, would you tell Daddy hi for me? I miss him. And, and that, that's the anticipation of something better yet to come. You see, we're always not quite home. We're always anticipating. That's why the Holy Land is so powerful because there's a sense of home there. There's a sense of where Jesus walked. We, we feel his footprints all along. And after all, in Revelation 21, when, when, it's, when it's all done, what is the statement John makes? He says, Jesus declares, I'm with my children and my children are with me. It's that beautiful sense. And what David says, just wait. Just wait a little while. I know you think the wheels are falling off. 
I know you think the relationship will never be mended. I know that you think the evil one will win. I know that you think this will never pay off. But can I just encourage you, just wait. Send up the balloon because there is coming a day when, when you will find that God vindicates his people and we are found to be righteous and blessed. The word psalm in the Hebrew was blessed. The word was changed in the New Testament to be praise because they're two beautiful bookends of the incredible reality that as we realize we are blessed, we can begin to be filled with praise. And Pastor Jerry is going to preach a wonderful set of messages throughout the summer, a part of this about the Psalms 23. And can I just tell you, you are going to be rich as you learn about the contentment that comes through the power of God. Pastor Ed, would you come and pray with our people as we close the message?